Okay. All right. Well, let me do this because we are headed into chapter 8. We haven't finished chapter 7 yet. So if you have your Bible and you want to turn to chapter 7 of Romans, verse 14, we're going to get to that in a minute. I want to go over, because I was thinking about this, is, you know, we really need to do sort of an overview of where we've been. Because I, as we teach this, or I teach it, I'm like, I'm kind of tired of talking about the law and sin. And, you know, it's like, it's sort of the same thing. Now, if you read it as a narrative or as a letter, you're not going to stay in it as much. But we've just gone verse by verse, and you just feel like you're the same thing. But he has an argument that he's trying to do. He has an audience he's capturing, and, and he does a good job of that, especially if you look at the overview of things. Again, you have... Paul's intro, which is basically Romans 1, 1 through 7, 1 through verses 1 through 17 in chapter 1. So that's the intro. And then he kicks in in verse 18. We, we talk about in Romans 1, 2, and 3, really, the sin in life that we are all in need of salvation. The Gentiles need salvation. They have it, the same problem that the Jews have. And there's this universal, again, chapter 3, universal need for salvation. And then what happens is, is that we get righteousness. We receive salvation through what Jesus Christ has done. And so that's verses, I mean, that's chapters 3 and 4, this justification by faith thing. This, this um, God has acted and made a provision for our salvation, and so... God's righteousness uh, we receive through our faith, through Jesus Christ. And then we talked about Abraham as the example for that. And then chapters 5 and 6, and then some of 7, of course, is we have this freedom that happens through salvation. And the freedom is freedom from wrath, God's wrath, freedom from sin, and then freedom from the law. Okay? So, and then we're going to talk a little bit more about today in chapter 8, freedom from death. So, and uh, we'll get into, I think we'll, we might hit chapter 9 today. So those are kind of all the, uh, that's kind of just an overview again of where we are and what we've been traveling through. So let's look at chapter uh, 7, verse 14. And we're going to look through, we'll go through... End of the chapter, I think. So it says, The law is good then. The trouble is not with the law, but with me, because I am uh, sold into slavery with sin as my master. I don't understand myself at all. For I'm really, I really want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do the very thing I hate. I know perfectly well that what I am doing is wrong. And my bad conscience uh, shows that I agree that the law is good. But I can't help myself because it is, it is sin inside me that makes me do these evil things. I know I am rotten through and through so far as my old sinful nature is concerned. No matter which way I turn, I can't make myself do right. I want to, but I can't. When I want to do good, I don't. And when I try not to do wrong, I do it anyway. But if I am doing what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing it. The sin within me is doing it. 
It seems to be a fact of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another law at work within me. This is at war, and this is at war with my mind. This law wins the fight and makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. Okay, so this is Paul's personal experience with the law as he's telling this personal, deeply personal story of this is his experience with the law. He's tried to follow the law, but he's failed to do so. And so sin remains in his life. He has fallen short of holiness. He tries to do something, but he doesn't do it, you know? And I think we can all identify with that, can't we? At some point in time in our life, probably today, right? Uh, sin remains in our life, doesn't it? Even though we don't want it to be in our life. Um, let's see. I always think about um, that sin wants to consume us. It's like the, uh, I think the, the deal with the, like, the trained lion. You know, have you ever heard that, that illustration of like there's a lion and there's a man and he's trained the lion. All of a sudden the lion turns on the man and eats the man. And you're like, what went wrong? What went wrong with the trained lion? It's like, it's a freaking lion, right? It's doing exactly what it's supposed to do. And so sin is doing exactly what it's supposed to do. It's like eating at you, right? So if you stay in it and you live in it and you keep it in your life, it's ultimately going to get you and stay in your life. Now, Paul's saying, hey, I'm trying to run away from sin. I don't want to train the lion. You know, I want to push it out of my life. But ultimately, it always comes back, right? It always comes back. So sin remains. Sin tries to consume us. Now, a couple of hot points for me is it's not scriptural to teach or to believe that there, are no, there is no sin in believers, after you become a believer of Jesus Christ. It's just not scriptural to say, well, you're just, you know, you're a believer now, now you don't have to sin, right? Or now you can't sin anymore, or now you shouldn't have sin anymore. That's just not scriptural at all, right? Um, and then also, a couple of things that I always think about with Christ, this is sort of a profound thing for me, is if Christ cannot go where sin reigns, if he's not willing to dwell where sin is allowed, which is in the heart of every believer, then we don't have any hope. So think about that. If Christ, Christ is not willing to go into our heart where sin resides, then we have no hope, right, for anything. To, re, to be, uh, we have no power, we have no joy, okay? So let's talk about this. Talk about this a little. What's been your experience with some sin and struggles in your life with, um, 
with trying to get rid of things. Maybe they come back. I don't know what you've been your personal experiences. You don't have to share every dirty detail, but the idea is, what, you know, what is it that uh, that you've experienced, or what have you tried to accomplish, or when have you like been like, hey, I've totally gotten rid of that, and then all of a sudden something comes back in. What draws you back into that? Okay, what are your struggles? So it's kind of a personal one today. <laughs> Any thoughts on that? Yes, go ahead, um, Susan. I had, um, for several years after my father passed away, I had a huge issue with forgiveness. Oh, wow. And um, hmm. it was the, how do you forgive someone who's already dead? Okay, yeah. Um, and every year I would hmm. struggle through that and think I'd given it over and I went through all the prescribed processes Thinking that I'd forgiven him, mm-hmm. every year at Lent it would come back again. Wow! When you talk about how forgiving Jesus was, and yeah. you know, it was a, it is a command to forgive. So, you know, how do you forgive someone that you can't say I forgive? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's a that was a huge struggle, and I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's just over a process of time. That right. God's finally allowed me mm-hmm. to move past that. But good. It went on for good. probably good five or six years. And mm-hmm. every year I think I yeah. had done it and yeah. it reared its head again. Hmm. I think you touch into something, time. That's why it's really, it's like that, that thing is like, I want, we all want people, and especially as a pastor, you all want, you want people to really be good, you know, or, or to do Christ-like things. But I think it takes time to deal with some of the sins in our life because it takes time for the the Holy Spirit to manifest itself in our life in particular ways, you know. Um, Sometimes there's just dramatic turnaround, you know, and then sometimes it's like a lifetime of struggle, you know, with things. So anything else? Personal things in life? Okay. So let's talk about... um, Bible as law and Bible as grace. If you look at the Bible as just the law, um, it's more like you must and should and you ought, right? If you look at the Bible as grace, which Paul is trying to ultimately, he's trying to say God is grace, God is more that, the law is kind of the old thing. To me, it's looking at it's a transition from what I would say would be a um, the second half of life stuff, okay? The second half of spiritual life stuff is the Bible as law is good. The law is good. You got like the commandments and all that stuff. But the second half of my life shouldn't just be I must, I should, I ought. It really should move me to I hear God's voice and I surrender to God's voice. I hear God's voice, and I have a relationship with God. It's what Jesus can do in me and through me and that we can't do ourselves, right? That's where I think great spiritual growth begins to happen in people when they realize that Christianity is not a to-do list, right, or something just to follow, but it's a resolution within our hearts that, hey, 
God's doing something in our hearts. There's a reason why I need to forgive somebody I can't forgive. You know, there's a reason for that. It's not, I mean, it is a commandment, but there's a reason for that. So it's eating away at me or whatever it might be, whatever. I need to get rid of this sin or this, the way I react to people in a particular way um, because it's not healthy because I'm not surrendering to Jesus. Yes. Well, for me, it's always been what 14B says, the Mm -hmm. Right, and right, so right. I haven't been able to mm-hmm. get rid of the sin, like you said. Yeah. I can't do it on my own. At all. Can't do it on your own. That's right. All right. So, to me, I'm just going to sum up this. Like, I've preached this portion of scripture before, and the big tagline for me that I've, or the lines that I came up with that helped me remember this portion of scripture is. Sin remains, but Jesus reigns. Sin remains, but Jesus reigns. Because Jesus does reign, but sin does remain. You know? Um, We are not maybe, as Paul says, slaves to sin anymore. We're slaves to righteousness. But he also just does say, I'm kind of a slave to sin. I mean, it's like he contradicts himself, it seems like, right? But again, this is a different part of his argument. This is a different context of what he's talking about, right? Um, so he doesn't contradict himself. So, but, he never mentioned it, but, mm-hmm. but is he talking about the devil? Okay, yeah, okay. <laughs> yep. Keeps bringing the sin back. The devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. Jesus saved <laughs> I don't know. What do y'all think about that? <laughs> no, no, I mean, seriously. What do you think about that? What do you well, think about that? Compared about to, you know. If it's a living being. Right, right. As opposed to one of his own actions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And also in here he's talking about his mind and his body as if they're two separate beings, distinct separate beings. Yeah, I yeah. see a lot of things in Paul here I don't understand. Right. I don't think he understood. He didn't understand it. <laughs> Amen. That's correct. I think that's true. And I think that if you're, but also if you're truthful with yourself, you don't understand it yourself either. Why do you still deal with things well, you do? I know, but he didn't have. That's he why he says at the end, what? Thank God for Jesus Christ, yeah. right? I think it's he gives the answer. I mean, the mm-hmm. answer is Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. We mean to be, but we're just not as yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and I think mm-hmm. his point is, is that the law didn't help that weakness. Mm-hmm. It no, it did not. Magnified it. it magnified it. That's right. That's where we just came out of, right? <laughs> he was saying that the law hadn't helped anything because I really do want to stop sinning, or I really do want to follow God's law, but I just don't do it. So. It's an interesting, I mean, where you were talking about the devil and stuff, I I just, um, that's actually chapter 8, to an extent, no it is, to an extent, I did some, I was doing some research on that in the other day, and and it talks about a life, we're going to get into life of the spirit, right, and a life of, of the flesh or whatever, and he doesn't, some people, you can like sin or or flesh and 
you could get into what is that, you know, exactly what is Paul talking about? Is he talking about the personification of evil being in the devil? Is he talking about, um, you know, ex what is exactly does he mean by flesh? Is he talking about the body, you know? So we're going to kind of get into that and debate that a little bit, or we can debate that. We might all agree on that, actually, which would be great. Um, it'd be a miracle. <laughs> Okay, so Jesus reigns, sin remains, Jesus reigns, okay? And we should believe, though, that we have a power over sin and we have an ability not to be ruled by it all the time. But again, Paul says, hey, you're going to win some battles and you're going to lose some battles. But that's what he says for him. Um, now, we aren't all Paul, you know? I mean, maybe for some of us in some areas, hey, we've sort of figured some magic formula out. But it's because of Jesus Christ, ultimately. He does all the work, and he does the work in us. And that's, again, why I'm getting back to the whole Bible is law thing and Bible is grace. It's so much better to see the Bible as grace. The Bible is something, you know, and, and, and what Paul's trying to say is, this is the Spirit's voice. This is the surrendering. This is, hey, we need Jesus doing something in us because we can't do it ourselves. And thank God for Jesus Christ. Um, so, okay, let's do 8, 1 through 4. It says, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. That's a totally new verse, isn't it, for Christians? No. Um, for the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you through Christ Jesus from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses could not save us because of our sinful nature, but God put into effect a different plan to save us. He sent his own Son in a human body like ours, except, except for uh, that our sins are, are sinful and um God destroys sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the requirements of law would be fully accomplished for us, who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. So 8.1 is a huge verse in the Christian realms, right? In church, you've grown up. If you've been around at all, you know that verse. You've heard that verse. There's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Um, we say that, and then everybody always goes, but. You <laughs> know what I'm saying? We all, but, you know. Um, so uh, we don't really think Paul really meant that, but, you know, there's always a but. But he says, no, but let me, let me, let me cover the condemnation thing. I think it's important for us. I heard somebody say the other day, I wrote it down, and I think it's really true. Condemnation and conviction, those are two different things, okay? And you probably know this, but condemnation is what you did in the past, okay? Now, conviction is what you're doing now, right now in the present. So there's a difference. Like if, if there is no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus Christ, it's what was in the past is in the past and it's gone, okay? But there is conviction. Like you shouldn't treat your neighbor that way. 
you know, well, I'm feeling guilty, but Paul said no condemnation, right? That's not condemnation, that's conviction. Like maybe you shouldn't treat your neighbor like that, right? So that's two different things. So he's not saying that you're not going to feel guilty. You're not going to have some sort of need for repentance. He's not saying that. He's just basically saying there's some condemnation, meaning if the thing that you did five years ago continues to come up and you've already asked for forgiveness, you've gone through some routines, you've gone, you know, or 10 years ago or how you used to act in high school or in college or whatever it is, if that keeps coming up and it keeps you from growing in your relationship with Jesus Christ, that's a problem because that's condemnation. You're condemning yourself. You're allowing the devil to come up and condemn you as well. Think about Hosea and Gomer, right? If you know that story, Hosea was a prophet. God told him to go marry Gomer. Gomer was a prostitute, ended up having three kids and one was only Gomer's, right? And so could you imagine, if you think about it from the other side of things, think about it from the Gomer side, I wonder if she left a lot, not because she wanted to go back to some sort of sinful life, but did she leave because the devil or herself kept bringing up condemnation and going, you really think that prophet of God who is like pure and holy loves you? You're not good enough for him. You know, that's condemnation, okay? And that will never get us to fully live our life in Christ. That, that holds us down. That's, that stays, we stay in brokenness and not, we don't become new in Christ. So that's why Paul's saying, hey, no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. Now, there can be conviction. So two different things. Any thoughts on that? Anybody have any thoughts on that? Yes. I had written in my Bible from some other study that it was condemnation versus conviction. Condemnation is not of Jesus, and conviction is the inner voice of Jesus. No, oh, great. That's great. Yes. Great, great, great. I love that. Inner voice of Jesus. Good. Amen, I agree with that. So condemnation is not the voice of Jesus. Conviction is the inner voice of Jesus. That's great. So verse 2, we have this freedom again. He tells us where are we free from? From the power, right, of sin. We supposedly have freedom from that that leads to death. Now that's that metaphysical type spiritual thing that we were talking about last week a little bit is like just because you feel like you're not forgiven and Christ hasn't taken care of your eternity doesn't mean it hadn't happened, okay? And then, so you do have freedom from the power of sin. Even though sin remains, Jesus reigns, okay? Before Jesus, sin remained and sin remained, okay? But now we have Jesus if you have, uh, if you have faith in him. Verse 3, the law doesn't save us. He reminds us, Paul reminds us of that, right? Um, he literally says the law of Moses cannot save us, right? In verse 3, because of our sinful nature. But God put it into effect, a different plan to save us. And so the law doesn't save us, but he does the work. And so remember, it's that theme, he does the work. He sent his own son in a human body. He, verse 4, he did this so that the requirements of the law would be fully accomplished for us. He did all this, not us. He did this. We have heard of that a lot in the last four chapters, for sure. Okay, verse 5 through 11. 
Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. Now, that could be a practical thing right there, right? I'll just stop. That could be practical. So if you're dealing with sin, it might not just because, yeah, you are sinful, and that's true. Sin remains. Jesus reigns, that type of thing. But you might just be thinking about the wrong stuff, right? You might have stuff in your life that you don't need to be putting in your life, okay? So that's just practical good stuff right there. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. If your sinful nature controls your mind, there is death. But if the Holy Spirit controls your mind, there is life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's law, and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them are not Christians at all. Since Christ lives within you, even though your body will die because of sin, your spirit is alive because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as he raised Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal body by this same Spirit living within you. Okay. All good stuff there. Verse six is um, if you're, I, just read it again. If your sinful nature controls your mind, there is death. But if the Holy Spirit controls you, there's rewards. What are those rewards? Life and peace, peace and life, right? Um, that's cool. Those are rewards. Those are rewards, you know? Um, that's how he wrote it, and and that's... And then spirit. So let's let's look at before we go further. Um, what does it mean to live by the spirit? What does it mean to live by the flesh or um, evil or be a partner of the devil? I mean, I don't know. You know, what is it that um, for me the spirit I would say is the real self. It's like really what God really wants for us. It's being fully alive in Christ. It's a new thing. It's a, a thing that you've yielded to yourself and now you've taken on Christ. Um, the Spirit is the stuff that's alive, you know, with joyful stuff, no matter what the circumstances at times are. Um, God has a Spirit in us. Now, the flesh, um, in some of my readings, I would say is, uh, is the false self, not the real self. And or some could say it's the ego. It's like the me, right? It's like I just want what I want, and I just want to do what I want. I don't care about it, you know. It's it's, and it's not that those things. It's not that the self is like evil. It's just that ultimately, it's not real and true in the sense. It's not true. Like it's not what God fully wants you to be. If you just stay in the old self and never take on his new self, then you'll never get to what he wants you to be, which is a truly authentic, real person, you know, and uh, alive in Christ. So he has got a plan, and he wants you to move from the flesh to the spirit. Um, there might be some argument on this, but the flesh, this is where I've been doing some study in the flesh, Paul uses that word terminology a lot 
and um, in in my version, it's sinful nature. But in other versions, who says flesh in their version? Anybody have that one? Okay. Um, it's a it's a you hear this word flesh. Paul uses it. He'll use it later too. But when you talk about the evil flesh or whatever, everybody always goes to the body. Everybody always thinks about the body. That's why I'm bringing it up. Is that and the body is not bad. The body is not evil. That would actually be a heresy in the early Christian church, right? Is because, like, that's what the Gnostics believed, right? That Jesus couldn't have been real. You know, he had to be just spirit. And so God came in a body, right? So the body is not bad. We just tend to always think of the sins of the body. Well, let's start also thinking of the sins of the body and the sins of the attitude, the mind, all the things Jesus talked about, right? And he really called us down on those things. So, um, Any of you all's personal thoughts on that? Anything hit you? Okay. Uh, so there's two types of life, one dominated by sin and one dominated by the Spirit. Okay? And we should... Live for the one dominated by the Spirit. We need to live for the one that thinks about, you know, as the mind of Christ thinks about the things of, of God, not the things of the, of the world that are, that are evil or fleshly or desire or, or the old self or whatever it is. So he just came off, remember, talking about condemnation. Don't think about the old, think about the new. What does Christ have for you? So he's trying to change our focus, too. How do we think about ourselves? How do we think about God? What do we have inside of us now that's different? So let's do 12 through 17. Did you do 11? Huh? Did you do 11? Oh, did I miss 11? I don't know. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. I didn't talk about it, though. It's really the last next sentence I'm trying to... And, okay, and just as he raised Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal body by this same spirit living within you. What's thoughts? Yet above, it says, and Christ lives within you, so even though your body will die because of sin, and then down here, we're talking mm -hmm. about your, your life to your mortal body. Mm -hmm. I, I don't understand that jumping from one to the other, I don't know that I understand those. Gotcha. Well, my commentary in my other Bible I look at doesn't help Peter. <laughs> I hear you. So are you talking about referencing 10 and 11? Is that what you're saying? I read 10, so, right. And then I read 11, and yet we're going to have to, you know, you've got life to your mortal body. Right. Not to your Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But your mortal body, which right. That's a good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's through the spirit. That's through the spirit. So what do you say? So, um, like, no. In the present, your mortal body, which will ultimately die because it's not immortal, but your mortal body right now has the spirit of God living within you. Through Jesus Christ, if you follow Him, if you believe in Christ, if you claim Him, respond to Him in faith. So I go back now to ten. And mm -hmm. Christ lives in you, so even though your body will die because of sin, right. 
Oh, you're just saying because it feels like he's like just Damn. rambling on well, about he, certain things. He's taking something away and giving it, and yet I don't rec can't reconcile it to. Okay. Life trying to reconcile things. It's good. <laughs> no, that that's good. So since Christ lives within you, okay, since you are a follower of Christ, there's something. You have the Spirit-filled life inside of you because we have been promised the Holy Spirit through faith. Uh, even though your body will die because of sin, your spirit is alive, right? Because you have been made right with God. So you ultimately, I think the best way of looking at that is, is your body ultimately will die because there is sin in the world. Adam and Eve might not ever died. <coughs> But that once sin came into the world, death came into the world, and ultimately things began to die. So I think there's a little bit of that in there, Jim. Um, I think that that's, I mean, that's, that's kind of how I'm reading that. Um, because he just came off that whole thing um, about uh, Adam bringing death to everyone. And I think he's tying the mortal thing into the spiritual thing a little bit there. Anybody else have anything? The yeah. confusing part is, is it mm -hmm. says he will give life to your mortal bodies mm -hmm. by this same spirit living within you. Now, I mm -hmm. can understand because he's talking about your soul, mm -hmm. but he specifically says here... Your mortal body your again. Mortal body. Right. But he said your mortal body is going to die because of sin. Mm -hmm. Because you're... Yeah, I know. I mean, that's what Jim's saying. I mean, he's... But you will die. Your mortal body will die, but your mortal body is still alive at the moment, and you're going to have life in it. He's just giving credit back to God. Now, you could also look at it and say, at some point in time, you are actually going to have a resurrected body. Now, I don't know. I I, I didn't read anything about him talking about that side of things. So I, I don't think that's it. I... It's just strange. Paul has got some rambling going on all the time. He really does, Jim. And you're like, you read something, you're like, I, I mean, seriously, I said that from the beginning. I mean, and so I, I think it, I think the way we reconcile that is there is death. We are going to die. Our mortal bodies, it's going to happen no matter what because of sin, because it's just decay has happened. The more, But at the same time, we're still alive and in the midst of it. So it's like this, it's like a paradox, you know? It's like this weird, strange harmony thing going on that there is life in our bodies right now, although there is death, right? It's still happening. It's just wild. So it's deep like stuff. confusion is related to the reading of the mortal body. Mortal body. Saying, uh, identifying the body as being mm -hmm. mortal, but we have life in it, but not enough life to make it immortal. There, in the, right. In the physical ways. In the physical sense, yes. There is life, there is divineness in, that's what's crazy. There is divineness inside of us, but there's not enough divineness to make it immortal just like we know it now. We literally have to die and then be resurrected to that. So I don't know if that helps reconcile anything for you. I mean, really? That's okay. I mean, it's just, that's the way it goes. I thought I had it while you were talking. I thought I had it reconciled. 
that you might be led in there that your life has body, but mm -hmm. uh, in a philosophical sense, not just to you, but to mankind in general, will die because of, of sin. the sin of Adam or who, whoever. The uh, sin. And we have death because of sin. Yep. In a, not only spiritual because I, I don't think he's talking about the. I mean he is talking about the spiritual but he's also talking about the mortal body like you said you're bringing in that it's good yes sir The dead. go down this track of we believe in a physical resurrection that's going to happen at some point in time but it also will be accompanied once you die immediately by you're immediately going to have a spiritual resurrection so and all of that lives inside of you and God will do all those things so um, I don't know that might be something I need to go just spend a little time with and come back and talk about that's good. That's good stuff, y'all. Yes. What about all the, the people that, that uh, were born, lived, and died before we, uh, Jesus came on earth? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. You ever think about them? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Ah, yeah. That's good stuff. That's awesome. Some of them are my ancestors, that's right. I, uh, yes. I, you know, that's um, just off the top of my head of just, I can't just reference every verse, but there's all the different um, times as you read the whole context of the Bible, especially the New Testament. Paul talks about it a lot as well. Um, but I think that you look at Revelation, you can find some references in there too. But there are people, again, like Abraham, who was was made righteous through faith. It wasn't through faith. It's, it's always faith in God, right? I mean, we talk Jesus because we're Jesus followers as Christians, but ultimately we have faith in God through Jesus Christ, right? I mean, there is a Godhead, and God is... Not just the Father, that God is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So uh, at, we heard as Abraham, he was righteous through faith. God, you know, made him right with him. I think a lot of people, and it wasn't because the Jews were born, and we're about to get into that too, but it wasn't because they were born Jewish, it was because they had faith in God. They believed in, in God, and that's what gave them the righteousness. Now, Ultimately, God had a bigger plan and a better plan than what, but he was, it was all in his timing. So, um, I would just say God has all that handled. And who gets to go where? So, you know, 
I, that's all I would say. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that this group of people don't get to go. And this group again, he's he said earlier the Gentiles had the law and they could have followed it if they wanted to, and they could have known God. And you know, um, who is it? Rahab that helped the spies, right? Hide. She was a prostitute, not an Israelite. Saved, right? says in scripture that she's saved so i have he a feeling yeah. does he we're getting there there you go that's a good one it's cool yeah i mean he's probably being more specific to the christians at that point in time but i think that you can put that in context of everybody as well. I mean, again, God, the Father knows all hearts. So that's what I would say to that, Agnes. And I think part of that is, is Father knows all hearts and the idea of, you know, people say, well, what about the person who doesn't know about Jesus? And, well, we need to tell them about Jesus. And uh, But there are some people that have never heard an effective gospel preached. I mean, there has not been. I mean, they, they live on earth still. I think there's people who have could have grown up in particular churches that have never heard an effective gospel preached, you know? Um, and so it's really hard to judge their hearts. So It's why we have open communion as well compared to other church traditions that have closed communion. Um, I guess... You want me to ask you before I serve you about your heart every time you walk up and make me be the judge? You know, that's how it is. I'm not going to be the judge of whether you deserve communion or not. I'll just let God handle that. I always, it's kind of, I guess it's the Marine thing, you know, kill them all, let God sort them out. I say that all the time. <laughs> give, them, give them all communion, let God sort them out, right? I say that about marriages. Marry them all, let God sort them out. Because I don't know, you know, it's like people are going to get married no matter what. I'm not going to be the one, you know. Anyway, so it's really hard. I'm glad I don't have to judge people's hearts. That is a God thing, and so that's 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 his stuff. So Okay. I think there will be a lot more people in heaven than some people think. That's all I'm going to say. I have no answers for those people to know why that is, but other than we serve a loving God. Okay, 12 through 17. Thanks for, and that was a good, I, that was a good hard discussion. That's good stuff. That, 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 we should have more research on that, so, <laughs> for sure. Um, 12 through 17. So, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation whatsoever to do what your sinful nature urges you to do, for if you keep on following it, you will perish. But if through the power of the Holy Spirit you turn from it and its evil deeds, you will live. For all who are uh, led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you should not be like cowering, fearful slaves. You should behave instead like God's very own children adopted into his family, calling him Father, dear Father. For his Holy Spirit speaks to us deep in our hearts and tells us that we are God's children. And since we are his children, 
we will share his treasures. For everything God gives to his son, Christ is ours too. But if we are to share, uh, but if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. Now that's that's a whole different deal. We'll get to that. Um, okay, verse. Let's see. Verse fourteen just pops out to me of because I want to talk about more than our sin <laughs> and the law, but. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. That's such a beautiful picture because as Paul is writing to a bunch of Romans, the Roman adoption, have y'all heard of the the Roman adoption system? It was a hard system, actually. It took a lot to adopt somebody, and it took a lot to be adopted. And there's consequences of that adoption, but it was such a vivid, vivid, vivid picture when Paul is saying this. Now, we in, in America, too, or in the world, we know it, it is kind of hard to adopt somebody, right? But if we think about not only the Roman adoption system, legal system to it, it just has so many consequences to it. So if you are adopted in the Roman world... You lose all rights to your old life and family. All rights. Okay? If you are adopted in the Roman world back then, you become an heir to the new estate. Okay? Doesn't matter if mom, dad wants to give it to you or not. You get you are an heir, okay? To that state legally, you have the you're an heir to that new state, estate. The old life is wiped out. Totally. All your debts are canceled. Everything. It's just gone. And that's why it was hard to to go through. You had to go through all the process. You had to go in. There was like this staged process. Okay. So the old life is wiped out. And then you become the absolute son or daughter of that new father. Okay. Um, Now that's powerful imagery to think about. Because... Your entire old life is wiped out. You are totally something new. You're in a new family. You have an heir, an heir to all the cool stuff that God's, you know, I mean, there's, that's a whole different deal. So what does that mean, you know? What, what, what does that do for us when we think about that? And that's a powerful image to me. So. Well, that's what happens when babies are Sure. <coughs> sure. Mm-hmm. Yep. If you adopted an eight-year-old, that's different. that's different, you know. And we are being adopted maybe later in our life into the Christian faith or wherever you made those decisions of faith, and that just is a. It's an interesting. Interesting, beautiful picture, I think. So, um, so what do you think it means by if we are to share His glory, but we must also share His suffering? <clears throat> what does that mean to you? Hmm? What is what is the suffering? <clears throat> well, it means something different to us than it did to the young church in Rome in a critical mm-hmm. period of time. Yeah, 
It did. It did. Yep. Yep. Correct. We don't have that quite as much here. Well, scripture said Jesus said that if if they hated him, they would hate us. Hate us. Mm hmm. That's one. That's right too. But is it not a time period of the Christians being persecuted? Yes, it was. Mm hmm. That's kind of why I was asking, like, what does that mean to you? I mean, of course, that's what probably most of all they understood it. It could have been life and death stuff, mortal life and death stuff. For us, it, I mean, there's, I, as a youth pastor, I used to t teach all the time, and I, I still would, and, and adults can hear it too. It's good for them. But socially, it, like, it costs you something to follow Jesus, Right? Um, it costs you something socially. You, you think different than other people do, right? You might care about people that other people just don't care about, you know? You might want to heal a relationship that other people, nah, you know? Um, they crossed me one last time, I'm done with them, you know? I mean, it costs you something socially. It costs you physically. I used to talk that with kids, you know, it costs you physically. You have to live a different life as a teenager, as a Christian, right? You can't just gallivant around doing whatever other teenagers do, right? Because it's going to cost you something, you know? Um, it's going to cost you, as if you're a follower of Christ, this hits all of us, it's going to cost you monetarily, right? Because you're actually called to give something, right? In return, what God has given to you. So that costs you. As I said in a sermon, man, we could take some cool vacations if I stop giving to the church, you know? I could take some cool vacations with my family, you know? Um, that would be a lot of income I could get back, right? Or a lot of gifting I could get back. So uh, it costs you something. It costs my children something because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, you know? And um, anyway, there's a lot of stuff. Social, emotional at times. It can, Anyway, so it costs something. So there's some suffering in there. There's some suffering. Okay. Anybody else? Um, all right, let's just... Uh, oh, man. Let's, yeah, let's push... I just have a few notes, so let's just push through 18 through 25. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory we will give us later. So again, Paul really is addressing this. Um, he understands there's some persecution going on. Okay, He's been persecuted, and he sees the light of day in the future. That's going to be a lot of that. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, everything on earth was subject to God's curse. All creation anticipates the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And even we Christians, although we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, also grown to be released from pain and suffering. We too wait anxiously for that day when God will give us our full rights as his children, including the new bodies he has promised us. 
Now that we are saved, we eagerly look forward to this freedom. For if you already have something, you don't need to hope for it. But if you look forward to something you don't have yet, you must wait patiently and confidently. So Paul's using this language of future age. It was very, uh, it's, it's deep in Christianity now. We have, you know, we talk about the second coming. There's a new age and under Christ, I mean, have a, a rule of a thousand years. I mean, there's all this stuff. But the Jewish people, it was the day of the Lord. You know, it was the, it was the, they, they really talked about future and they had the present age, the future age. They, that was a big deal for them because they always knew God had something more for them in the future. Okay. And we do too. We have that same language. But um, to me, when he's talking about all this future death and decay, and we're going to, that is the physical resurrection stuff. That's also for me, we're going to have this new body, which is going to, this is really wild for me to think about. And the body won't ever want to sin again. That's wild. I mean, I'm not talking just fleshly sin. I'm just saying our minds will be. One, to an extent, you know, of really focus. We won't have this problem that we saw in verse, uh, in these verses in, in chapter 7. We won't have that, well, I really do love God, but I still sin, you know. We won't have that anymore. And that's just a powerful thing to think about for me. Um, verse 25 I wrote down, um, this is the hope for humans. You know, this is the hope for for believers, this is the hope for people that um, we don't have this fully, and uh, we have we have life inside of us. But again, as it gets back to what we were talking about earlier, we have this mortal body, but this mortal body is decaying and is dying, and then we're going to get a new body for all eternity. But we don't have that yet, and so there's a hope, and there's something that's going to come in the future, and we can always—it's not a full reality, you know. So, any thoughts on that as we sort of wrap up, too? Any thoughts? I think these are a couple of the, this chapter eight, I mean, we could spend an entire year on, right? Um, it's just good, good, good stuff. So, and there's a lot of deepness. Um, we'll just stop there because I don't want to get going. The, the next verse uh, 26. Um, we're kind of slow. I, we're just going to have to spend time on chapter 8. So I thought we'd actually get through it today, but there's just a lot. So we'll just get to, uh, we'll start in verse 26 next week, and we'll go from there. So, All right, y'all be blessed. Thank y'all. Thank y'all.